Hey everybody, that was Aiko, I am Bo Ransdell, and this is Hero Hero Go Show. Uh, sorry again about the uh, the delays between episodes, uh, but you know, life happens. So uh, we're going to uh, try in the uh, the future to uh, to make this a, a bit more regular. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, boy do we have a show for you this evening. Um, I have a, a handful of directors that when I think of Asian horror that I, you know, immediately leap to mind. There's, you know, Park Chan-wook, there is, uh, Takashi Shimizu, there's Hideo Nakata, uh, you know, the, the greats. And add to that list, Sion Sono, uh, who is a fantastic director who apparently does not give a shit about anything. Um, and, and produces some of the most artistic and bold films in the genre, I would argue. But uh, I'm not going to argue that alone. Not this time, people. This time, I'm going to... Uh, and, and, and this is only fitting, because one of my favorite people, and uh, the, the last time she was on the show was for Tokyo Gore Police, also a personal favorite film of mine. Uh, and now we're doing um, Suicide Club or Suicide Circle. We'll talk about that. Um, and yeah, that's also a favorite movie of mine. So, uh, l- welcome back to the show, Misty Marchant. And thanks for being here on yet another, uh, what I would, I would call a, a landmark, a tentpole episode of, of the show. Oh, th- thank you for having me. I love this movie. So I was really excited to hear that you were covering it. And uh, so I had to rapidly message you, oh, oh, can I be a guest on it? <laughs> yeah, it's like you and I, and we've been, because the, this particular episode has has been delayed a couple of times, we have, you yeah. know, messaged uh, a lot about this. And most curiously, and, and perhaps uh, this is why it's fate, that it should happen now, um, you sent me a message earlier this very day because yeah. there was a news report about uh, Russian teenagers committing suicide because of a website or like a mobile game. It, yeah, it, it's, it was like a social media game called Blue Whale. And these teenagers will go on the website and whoever was running it would give them various instructions like um, wake, wake up at 4.20 a.m., uh, do do this, do that, you know, as a sequence of, of things, and they would follow it. And then the last command was to commit suicide. And there have been several teenagers committing suicide, and they would post a picture on their social media accounts of a blue whale, and then just, like, off themselves down yeah. to this social media game. So it it was, when I saw the article, it was, I don't like I said, it was, like fate it's amazing that we're covering this movie at the same time that this is happening because the parallels are just i mean it you know down to there being a certain band involved in this social media game with with lyrics that everyone is sort of reading into i mean it's almost life imitating art <laughs> yeah a bit too much <laughs> yeah i mean it is it, like legitimately unsettling how how similar that news story and this movie is and this movie in fairness uh listeners just to give you the 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 bio on this film uh this movie came out in 2001 um so 16 years ish ago 
uh, this movie was released and only now is, you know, life getting around to imitating this particular piece of art. <laughs> but it was a it was ahead of its time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Sion Sono is like David Bowie in the stuff that he's putting out now. I'm not going to like for about five years and <laughs> and I'll finally catch up to him. So uh, that's why I like the industrial David Bowie. I'm waiting for about seven more years, and I think I'm going to think it's genius. Oh, oh, definitely. Definitely. He's like <laughs> he's like the type of director that people like to pretend David Lynch is, but he actually is. Yeah, well. That makes any sense. <laughs> it, 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 it does, because have you seen Strange Circus? Are you, are you on the I street? I have not. Okay. I have not seen so Strange Circus is like at some point we'll cover this movie on this show, but it's going to come with so many warnings about like, look, <laughs> this movie is about pedophilia. There's no getting around it. Um, and it's but it is it's such a Sono film. And I would recommend it if like if you watch Suicide uh, Club and Suicide Circle is what it was called in Japan. And Suicide Club was sort of the Americanized version of the name. Um, but if you watched uh, either of those m movies, heck, both of them, um, and thought, wow, that wasn't extreme enough for my tastes, then uh, Strange Circus is the movie for you. Um, <laughs> if you felt like Sion Seno just was showing way too much restraint um, with this film. Uh, but yeah, so we'll we'll get to that another time. But but point being that so, like as you were saying about uh, David Lynch, Sono is a total art director. He is like despite all the gory stuff that we're going to talk about in this movie, and there there is plenty of oh, that. Um, oh yeah, but it it like there is what happens in the movie, and then there is what the movie is about, and those are two entirely different things. Uh, That's a brilliant way to put it, actually, because they're despite how, um, you know, watching this movie, uh, I know the first time I watched it, I was quite young. I was probably about, I don't know, 18, 19 years now. I was older than that. I was in my early 20s um, and I didn't get it because I, w I wasn't mature enough to understand the message that I was being given. I was just looking at all the gore and the pretty colors and the weird shit and just you know, took that on and that was it. Well, that's a fucked up Japanese movie. But when you watch it from a different perspective, there is a message to the film that is absolutely legitimate. And it goes beyond the sort of, um, you know, commentary on fads and things like that. I mean, there, it's, it's, it does have a meaning to it if you're willing to see it. You know, if you're willing to look past the fun gore, which it is fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and that's the other thing about this movie is it is ridiculously entertaining. In addition oh. to like when you get to the end of the movie, like there is a left turn that the movie takes at the end that I think some people are just like, well, I give up. I don't know what the fuck this movie's about anymore. <laughs> and I hopefully we will unravel that a little bit, even though I still think there's this very impressionistic quality to the ending of this, where I can tell you what my interpretation of it is and what my research has pointed at. But if you came up with a totally different read, well, that's not crazy. Cause well, yeah, I mean, you, like any other film by any other, like like you were saying, an art art house director, it's always going to be open to interpretation. Um, I mean, uh, I don't know if if 
if any of you out there have heard my show, you should know I research nothing. I research nothing at all. I just drink. <laughs> I drink. I smoke. You know, I uh, watch movies, and then whatever pops into my brain, I'm just like, yes. And then after I say it publicly, then I'll research it after and be like, oh, God, what the fuck was I thinking when I said that? That's clearly not what it meant. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and I feel like we shortchanged it because uh, not only – are you from uh, one of my favorites, the Black Annis uh, Horror Podcast? Um, Black Annis is about to return, so uh, oh god, yes, uh, finally! Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm really excited. Like I've talked to you and Ben both about it, and and I I couldn't be happier, and I can't wait to hear what uh, what the the new shows sound like because, as you said, it is like it is sort of a podcast where Ben is. <sighs> Like he's not the bigger fan. He's more organized. I'll put it that way. And and if you yes. like, I I hope uh, that doesn't sound insulting. But like no. he he like he's the organized guy, and then you're the like Tasmanian devil that spins around the show and bounces <laughs> off walls. And it's it's wonderful. So I I for one cannot wait to hear more. Uh, it's it's gonna be great. So, but but I wanted to uh, drop in that plug because I didn't I didn't I, appropriately I, plug before. I actually am handing in my notice on Sunday night because I'm getting a new job just so that I have more time to record. Um, where I was at before, I was doing twelve hour night shifts, and I was just honestly I was so exhausted that I mean, like you said, I am like a little rabid Tam- Tasmanian devil on the show, and I just didn't have the energy. You know, so um, I'm committed. I'm I'm handing in my notice. I'm like, nope. Podcast comes first. <laughs> yep, yep. I I have to have my rabid Tasmanian devil time. And, yep. And if you gotta will, have it, if you will not afford it to me, I will I will seize it for myself. Uh, I respect it. I'm I'm in. Um, all right. So uh, enough enough uh, pimping. Let's uh, let's get to Suicide Club. Uh, so, like I said, Suicide Circle. Yeah, I, I know you are a Suicide Circle person. Well, I think it's just because uh, the first time I saw it, it was under that title. But um, since then, I've call- started calling it Suicide Club. But then when <laughs> Suicide Squad came out, I kind of reverted back to Suicide Circle because Suicide Club sounded too much like Suicide Squad, and I have a deep hatred for that movie. <laughs> yeah, rightfully so. It's not a very good movie. <laughs> you know, I was like, uh. But yeah, um, Suicide Circle was the American title, wasn't it? Uh, suicide, no, Suicide Circle was the more literal Japanese translation, and then uh, Suicide Club is what they called it in uh, in the U.S. On in that release, and I don't, like... Uh, why must they do that? It, right. It, it, why it, must they change the titles? All right, let's uh, let's jump into the movie here, uh, Toots. If oh, I may, yes. if I, if I may call you Toots, um, absolutely. <laughs> so, Suicide Club and/or Circle opens um, at Shinjuku Station, um, where a group of uh, very stereotypically clad uh, young Japanese schoolgirls are standing at the platform. Uh, they join hands. An Irish jig plays for no apparent reason, <laughs> and uh, and they leap uh, in front of uh, the incoming subway train. 
Uh, uh, it's one of my favorite opening scenes of any movie ever. I mean, the it, it gets your attention. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, and it's, you know, arms being thrown through the windows of the train and blood is going everywhere. It's, oh. it's supremely gory. Some fantastic, oh yeah, there's some fantastic head explosions and just blood-coated windows. It's it's glorious. <laughs> and uh, we get our first appearance as well of a mysterious white bag. Kind of a bowling bag, right? Yeah, yeah, it looks like one of the old sort of 70s bowling bags. Yeah. Um, so we just get a glimpse of it. It, it the, trust me, it'll come into play later. Um, more importantly is the murder of the, uh, not murder, suicide of the 55 or 54 girls. And, uh, and we also right after this get our first glimpse of, uh, Desart, which is the, uh, pop idol group. And in traditional Japanese fashion, you know, these are, preteen girls uh, dressed up and, and singing pop songs. Yeah, I think the, later on in the movie, someone says their average age is 12.5, which um, I always, I don't know, I always found the whole, because groups, especially in, in countries like Japan and Thailand and China, they, they're just sort of manufactured. So you have, you know, you can age out quite easily and yeah. then they just replace you. They have an, a, a mean average age per group <laughs> yeah it's like uh, menudo only <laughs> <laughs> elsewhere uh yeah it and and they are you know it it is the the typical things like the image i always have it it's not i don't think the first time we see them but it's them in the uh like the pajamas the long pajamas dancing around and stuff and as as someone who has investigated like Japanese kawaii culture a little more than I probably should have. Um, <laughs> I'm not judging you, man. Not that, judging. <laughs> you know, it's there is something absolutely fascinating about like a Japanese pop idol sh shit. Like we watched Perfect Blue recently, which uh, has, has oh. uh, a lot of that in it as well. Oh, um, I love that movie. Oh, it's fantastic and uh, so good. You know, we'll and we'll probably talk about it somewhere down the line on this show. But if you want to hear me and Duncan chat about that, uh, that happened on podcast under the stairs recently. But um, yeah, so um, it it is that you know, as you said, that that sort of manufactured uh, kind of group, and we're just setting all this stuff up, putting putting the pieces in place right now for this film. Um, right. I mean, their their opening song, Desire, like the yeah. Yeah, the the lyrics pretty much lay out the underlying issues for the entire movie. Very much so, and <laughs> it and it turns out they're kind of important. Um, <laughs> so uh, then we go. All right, so we have this big grotesque opening uh, with a bunch of young kids getting mutilated and tossed around by this train, um, and then we have another great set piece scene where we go to the hospital. Uh, where like a couple of nurses are listening to the, this group Desart, and um, it, it's like this whole kind of haunted house scene because one of them leaves, and then there's the question of like, well, is she coming back, or 
what's going on. And uh, like the power starts to go out and there are creepy handprints on uh, the windows and stuff like that. Like it's gorgeous. Oh yeah. It's beautifully shot. And the first time I saw it, I thought, Oh, Oh, we're having a ghost movie. That's what this is going to be. This is going to be a ghost movie. It's clearly not, but the atmosphere they set up just puts you in that sort of state of readiness that, you know, you can't trust what you're seeing. You can't trust what's going on in front of your eyes, you know? Yeah, and and, and it almost has this, uh, like, Shimizu Juan kind of vibe for a minute where... Uh, oh, gosh, yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it's... What? Like, this scene is kind of almost out of place in the rest of the movie because it's really the only time the movie becomes what people typically think of like a Japanese horror film is, you know, which is kind of all the creepy dark corridors and weird angles. And, and like, you know, when the, the woman goes out the window, the, the nurse, uh, and does so very cheerily, uh, spoilers, the, the, one of the nurses decides to, uh, swan dive out the window. Um, do you know, uh, I, I, I'd like to comment about the audio in this scene as well. Um, when she swan dives, when she sort of ducks out of that window, it's that moment of silence and stillness afterwards. I thought was beautifully done. Yeah. It was just perfect. Yeah, it's uh, and all listeners, we apologize in advance for how much we say like, "Man, Sono is so good." Uh, because he is like, he, he really is a master of putting a movie together. Like whether the content appeals to you is one thing, but the guy can make a movie. Uh, yeah, definitely. But yeah, but it's a super creepy scene. And then we go from that to what I think is my favorite scene in terms of creepiness, uh, which is when we first go to the police and meet what I, what I thought was the main character of the movie until we learn it's not who is uh, Detective uh, Kuroda, as played by, uh, hold on, let me get the name right, it's Ryo Ishibashi, who we will remember from Audition. He is the the main, he's the main guy in Audition, so, um, in this... He's just got the worst luck, doesn't he? He is... (laughs) As a character, he was also, oh, geez, I want to say he was also in Juan as uh, the detective. Um, Oh. No, not, he wasn't in Juan. He was actually in uh, The Grudge, the American version as, uh, anyway. All right, so we could go down a Ryu Ishibashi uh, <laughs> hole, but anyway, the guy's been in all kinds of stuff, and he's in this too. So, uh, but it's always fun to see a familiar face, and he's one of the detectives. And and like, so they're trying to figure out: is this murder or is this uh, suicide? Um, and also, like, why the hell these uh, these girls jumped off the platform? In addition to the fact that uh, at this hospital, um, we have found a the white bowling bag. Um, that uh, we saw at the beginning of the movie uh, has appeared. Only now it has uh, contents, uh, which is fun. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, but all right, but but before we get to that, here's here's one of my favorite creepy things. 
Um, because we like we see the bag and they're like, there's the bag. And then they don't open it at, at first, you know, to build tension and whatnot. Uh, but then we have the introduction of my favorite character, the bat, who is this hacker chick who is calling the police to let them know that there's a website where like, hey, the, these suicides are probably tied to this website. And because every time a suicide happens, these dots grow in number. And it's, it's what, red for girls and white for boys. Yes. yes. And it's just, and that's all the website is. It's just a screen with all these dots on it. Yeah. And, and nothing else. No other information. And the bat tells them that the, the weird part of it is the, the dots appear before the suicide. And then we get more of the uh, is it murder or suicide argument, which they get very invested in. Yeah. Defining well, what, what this is. I mean, not to tip our hands too much, but this is a movie very much aware of and commenting on the the fact that Japan has a very high suicide rate. And, and culturally, it has had... Uh, for some time, I, I I I'll have to check my numbers. I don't think it's what it was in like the eighties because that was rough. Um, but at any rate, um, yeah. So in Japanese culture, there is there is very much a differentiation between a, a like a suicide that is kind of coaxed versus suicide that happens like born of depression or something like that. And one of them is Kiri. And then I can't remember the name for the other one, but it's like, there, there are two different words for it. So, yeah. uh, at any rate, so they're, ha they're into that discussion, but, uh, but kind of who cares because now we're opening the bag. And, yeah. And, Let's get to the bag. <laughs> what's in the box? Uh, the box? So, <laughs> what what is in the box is not a Gwyneth head. Uh it's actually even grosser uh because it is stitched together human skin in like a giant human toilet paper roll. Yeah, they're they're like perfectly rectangular strips of human skin. I mean, you think that if you took the stitching out and deep fried those suckers, they'd taste like pork rinds? Oh, uh 100%. <laughs> <laughs> Add uh, a little salt, a little Cajun seasoning. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't speak from experience, obviously. Not yet. <laughs> I mean, let's not let's not close the door on that completely. <laughs> Never but, give up on your dreams, Bo. Uh, you know, it, they, uh, they call it long pork for a reason. Uh, <laughs> it's my favorite euphemism for human flesh is long pork. Uh, so... Uh, so we follow Detective uh, Kuroda home uh, on the subway, and, and we start to touch on one of the big themes of this movie is that on the subway, he's looking around, nobody's talking to each other, nobody's really looking at one another, um, and, and much of the movie has to do with this idea of isolation and alienation. Absolutely. and there, One of the men actually on the subway is sat, stood against the wall, leaning, just sort of lightly banging his head against the wall. Which is, a, a lot of them are displaying symptoms from the um, the rhesus monkey experiments, where they 
took these monkeys, put them in an isolated environment, and studied what happens under extreme isolation. And here we have a subway full of people exhibiting these similar symptoms. Um, you know, it, I think that's one of the main commentaries of the movie, to be honest. Is And it's almost a self-imposed isolation. Because, well, never mind, I, I won't go off into that, but... Yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. We'll, we'll, we're right around the corner from getting there, so uh, don't, don't, don't feel bad. Uh, because, all right, let, well, because let's keep going with this, because the next scene is when he goes home, he calls a family meeting, like, hey, I need to talk to all of you kids and, and my lovely wife and all. And they start kind of chatting, and then this Desart, uh song comes on television, and then it's like, all right, everybody stops talking again, and they're totally transfixed by this very superficial kind of entertainment. Absolutely, and, yeah. And, and, and it shuts down any human uh, human communication. Well, and, and you can tell. I think it, it it tips its hand a little bit when he first enters the house at how isolated everyone has individually become by this because he sees his wife and he tries to give her this hug, and it's this. It's almost. If you if you look at it, it's almost like a desperation for a connection. Like the way he hugs her, he's just grasping at her, and she's like, "What's wrong with you? You know, what's what's your problem?" Because she's not used to that. Because they are all used to leading very separate lives, and he's trying to bring some sense of togetherness, connection to his family calling the family meeting things like that and they're all just so completely desensitized to that sort of thing that it it doesn't even phase them they're just like what desserts on you know <laughs> yeah yeah it, it it's really a uh like you said the movie kind of gets a little preachy there not but even then it's all subtext uh yeah. like nobody's saying like we should not watch television we should talk to each other you know it's not yeah, it's not right it's not that didactic or anything but in terms of a sono movie it's as like obvious as the movie ever gets yeah. um but then okay so then we get to our next big uh kind of uh tentpole suicide scene which is uh some girls th uh, that are on the roof of the school Originally, like, taking out some trash or something. But it's, like, where all the kids hang out in between classes or in recess or where... I don't know. what. Maybe they have a class and just hang it out on the roof. I don't understand Japanese schools. <laughs> oh, they'd never let us on the roof of schools. What the hell? Well, and, and, and for this reason. <laughs> so... Uh, so, the girls are all, um, like talk about how they would never kill themselves initially and you know how how stupid it was and then uh as the conversation goes on and more and more people start talking about it then it becomes kind of infectious where somebody stands up and it's like okay i'm gonna do it and they're like what are you talking about i'm gonna kill myself and then everybody's on board and it's a really bizarre scene but then they you know go to the edge of uh the roof uh, and and then they, then they leap off, and uh, we get another splatter of gore. <laughs> and then there were there were the three still on the roof that didn't jump. Right. And uh, one girl, I'd never got this right. She she feels guilty. She's like, no, we have to do it. 
walks past the other girl to grab the guy and force him off the roof with her. Like, why walk past that other person? <laughs> right. Was she was she not the one you wanted to take down with you? Did it have to be this other dude on the other side of the ledge? Or what? what's your problem? You know, maybe <laughs> she just had a crush on him. Oh, God. And but, Bunny boiler. Right, right. It's just like, oh, you know, if we're going to die, let's die together. This will be romantic. Um, which is... A surprisingly a recurring theme in other Asian horror films is the idea of like <laughs> the romance of dying together. Uh, it's very Romeo and Juliet. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and and just prior to this, there's a like a really weird scene where we get the bowling alley. Uh, is that now? Oh God, the bowling alley. Yeah, like <laughs> so. Yeah, there, there's the just the quick shot, and it's almost the, the uh, audition shot of, uh, you know, the bag falling over. Um, I, I think, it, but in this case, there were several bags just spread across this kind of busted up bowling alley, the lanes of the bowling alley, and all the bags are moving. And it's, yeah. it's a really great shot, but it's also, <laughs> it's very unsettling. Uh, they're various sizes of bags. Some of them clearly contain animals. Some of them contain people. Um, it is a great shot. I love the. I love the shot. The only problem I have with it is that if you if you have all these things in bags, right? If you spread them across the lane of the creepy bowling alley that you're staying in, you can't bowl. I mean, well, dude. <laughs> you know, I I think it's more. Uh, like a matter of convenience in terms of being in the bowling alley. I don't think that they originally showed up for the bowling. <laughs> I, I think it was just like, here's, here's a big enough space to have our bag people. <laughs> and if, you know, it's a bowling alley also, well, then that's just happenstance. <laughs> the dude will not abide. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, it's yeah. It's, but we'll we'll get back to that. But clearly, there's somebody posting from this location uh, about the Suicide Club stuff, and which you know, like there's a bulletin board that the bat uh, is also frequenting to try to figure out, you know, what what's at the root of this. Like, who's behind this website, and why are these kids killing themselves? That's the mystery. So the bat's going at it through the website and thinks she has made some kind of contact there. Uh, and the cops are still trying to decide, well, is this something to investigate? And then in comes a phone call um, saying, hey, there's there's going to be another uh, mass suicide on this platform. Yeah, the, the phone kid. The phone kid with the cough. Yeah, it, it sounds like a very young child. Um, and it says that there is no such thing as the suicide club. And then when they finally talk, um, he, he tells Kuroda that he doesn't understand, but that there's going to be another suicide and that um, it then starts to ask him bizarre questions about connections. Right. And then that's yeah. kind of the end of the phone call. And uh, are you connected to yourself? Yeah, it's that's a, that's our reoccurring theme. And <laughs> and and I mean, again, it's it's kind of 
Sono being as obvious as he's going to get in this movie about yeah. what this movie's about. But <laughs> I mean, that is fairly direct in fairness, but is the notion of what are you connected to, you know? And yeah. there's a later phone call where that what, the whole conversation is that. Um, yeah. But uh, so they've also discovered that there is uh, on the sixth chain um, of, of this human toilet paper roll that there's a tattoo on there. So uh, while they're on the platform, they're also kind of looking for the this tattoo. Um, they couldn't have gone about it any creepier either. They get their oldest, freakiest looking detective and he's going up to schoolgirls. Hey, you have tattoos? Are you going home right now? You going straight home? Do you have, yeah. any, do you have any tattoos? It's just like, dude, get the fuck away from me weirdo <laughs> right right and uh and and they're overlooking the prime suspect here which is a girl named mitsoku who was struck by her boyfriend who was committing suicide a storyline we haven't touched on yet but th this also happens in this movie <laughs> movie number three <laughs> so got it right in the ear i know in the ear <laughs> and 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 she's actually questioned by the police about this and about the suicide of her boyfriend and she's like oh yeah he probably don't investigate this he was that kind of guy he was yeah, kind of weak right don't, let's not <laughs> you don't need to scratch at this one too much Columbo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he probably did it he was kind of a jerk but she has a matching tattoo on her shoulder and so with them creepily you know chasing down tattoos on the subway platform i'm like why are you not asking mitsoku about this a ton more yeah because she has the same damn you know she has the tattoo uh it's the one <laughs> thing in this movie that really bothers me that uh, like, I, we'll, we'll, we'll get to the one thing that really bothers me later on but I think everybody's going to have something that drives them a bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, like sometimes narratively Sono maybe doesn't hit all the right notes, but um, yeah. So the, the platform ultimately yields nothing, uh, but we do lead into a montage where we get the impression that suicides are starting to spread uh, and everyone seems awfully cheery about it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you, you you see a lot of shots of people on the streets just holding up signs that say, jump here, to the point where the, the streets are just littered with these signs, um, which, you know, it's, it, it's not particularly insightful or artistic, but I just love that. I, yeah. I would love to see, you know, a reaction like that to mass suicides. Just jump here. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's very mass suicide positive. Yes. Uh, and we could use a little more acceptance in today's culture. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm not here to judge anybody. But, yeah, like there's the mother who starts sawing her, her fingers off. Uh, all to um, more disart songs. There's the, the women who hang themselves. Um, you know. Weren't they doing a play or something when they were... Though, They're though, like acting out a play. Those are two actors, yeah, that are actually on stage and kill themselves yeah. on, on stage in front of the audience. And it's it's one of the moments in the movie that I'm really reminded like the this movie has a real darkly comic streak to it. Cause 
Yes. I mean, the scenes aren't played for laughs, but there is something there is something absurd about them. Yes, very it, much. It also reminds me to sharpen my knives. The oh. mother who chops her fingers off. That's like the dullest knife in the world. It, <laughs> she yeah, it takes a while. <laughs> and and let's not forget the burning head in the oven either. Uh like it is it, it again, this movie's gruesome when it when it decides to show you some shit, it shows you some shit. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. They didn't pull any punches about this. But it's still highly entertaining. It's not so grotesque that you are just like, what the fuck were they thinking? You you watch it and you enjoy it. <laughs> Yeah, it's fun gore. <laughs> yeah, it. I mean, it is. It is kind of silly. But then we we take a turn from that montage into going back to uh, Detective Kuroda and going into his house, and uh, his family is in yeah, rough shape. Feelings gone. Yeah, uh, the the light and breezy version of uh, the murder scenes give way to just the the one of the more disturbing scenes of the movie where um he comes home and his daughter appears behind him covered in blood and he doesn't see it like his back is to her again <laughs> being <laughs> isolated being detached from his family um and then he realizes like hey there's blood all over the place this seems <laughs> wrong I know I didn't leave the place like this. <laughs> God, did the maid not show up again? Right. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> it's, it's so hard to get good help. And, you know, <laughs> we're deporting all the people that would have cleaned this up. Um, <laughs> so, Shit, got to claim my own blood now? Right. Fucking hell. <laughs> Finally, jobs for Americans. <laughs> cleaning up the blood that... Anyway. Um... <laughs> But yeah, so uh, Kuroda, uh, like his, th there's a message written in blood on his wall about track eight, you know. So clearly his home has been invaded by, you know, whatever is going on here. Um, before we get that reveal, though, the bat and uh, her girlfriend, I guess. Uh, I guess. Um, it's never kind of clearly stated, but it kind of has that air to it for some reason yeah um but they get kidnapped and we get the introduction of uh genesis ah oh, this fucking guy <laughs> uh yeah let's talk about this fucking guy for a minute Th this fucking guy walks out in a full-on glitter jumpsuit looking like cloud but not as a bunch of a badass he's like the japanese eddie azard yes very much like the japanese eddie azard and he's got a guy on a leash but he's wearing a submissive's necklace so i was all kinds of confused uh, it's yeah. like wait are you are you are you a switch or what's going on here <laughs> yeah i mean maybe uh, uh, maybe that is just uh for the ensemble um, I think he seems very fashion conscious, Genesis. <laughs> yeah, it, it's that kind of like David Bowie androgyny, like crank to eleven. 
Oh yeah. And oh yeah. It's it, it's kind of wonderful. Like I, I am oh, a Genesis lover. Uh, oh, he's, he's absolutely stunning. He's gorgeous. And <laughs> and he uh, has to sing a song. Oh oh yeah, he's got to show off his his band. But what what I love, he said he tells them because he's got this gang, right? But yeah. they're as a gang goes, they're more Clockwork Orange gang rather than gang gang. You know? Absolutely. Oh, a hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> and he says to bring him his chair, and they bring out this chair, right? And the bat and her girlfriend, terrified, on the floor, cowering. And he sits in it. It's not right. So he gets out and he starts hammering away with it. And he asks him, "What do you do in your spare time? Do you like home repair?" <laughs> I couldn't imagine being a hostage. And uh, you know anything about putting up shelves or? <laughs> yeah, I, well, he is uh, clearly a psychopath, and but and he says, "Welcome to the Suicide Club." Like he is taking full credit for whatever the Suicide Club phenomenon is. Genesis is saying it's him, and then he uh, stomps one of the bag people to death. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just to you know show off uh, how crazy and violent he can be, and then. Yeah, so uh, the, the song we have to just briefly talk about because the dead. I thought it was a good song. I like, kind of like it. I would have that on CD in my car if I uh, if I could hunt down a copy of it. I liked it. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's very sort of late '80s, kind of goth-ish. Yeah, type it, of sound to it. It's like <laughs> if if Morrissey covered across the universe, <laughs> it would kind of have this feel. That is a brilliant, brilliant description. <laughs> and I've been, I've thought about this a little too much. Uh, in fairness. <laughs> おどなすくけそらわなんどもうくひとあなぜかいつもこいにおちてゆく虫らぬきいろいぬがぼくらのなかをさいていつもわら because death, because death, because death, it's a shine on our own. Bureson no ega ni dete kuru jannu no yo ni utsukushikushitai. レスワンデンシェリングクリームのリタクテオライナガラゴポロソギオトスベコズデッベコズデッベコズデッ 
So he's terrifying the bat and and her girlfriend and and clearly because it's a Japanese film somebody's getting raped because uh, we can't have a movie we this is why we can't have nice things Japanese horror because you're always raping somebody and and in this case it's one of those moments where it's like I don't know what this is giving us like the fact that they're already in bags and being mentally abused i guess maybe they just get raped because they get raped um my this is my thing with the movie not the fact that the girl gets raped it's the bag people right and it comes into play later where it annoys the living crap out of me it clearly shows on many occasions that these bags are pretty much made out of bed sheet and they're not tied at the bottom or anything this is an open freaking sheet bag that you're in you can get out of that like so easily but you're just gonna sit there in the bag just you know because you're in a bag <laughs> yeah yeah well because we need them to push at the sides of of the bags dramatically <laughs> as the music is playing which i mean if you're gonna have a dumb reason to do it that's a pretty good dumb reason <laughs> Because it looks great. It it does look amazing. When he starts stabbing her in the bag, and you see the sort of bag stretch out with the silhouette and the knife yeah. in it. Bro loved it. Yeah. Loved it. It's, uh, it, it's... A bitch could get out of that bag. And, of course she could. Like, they both... Like, the, the fact that when the bat finally does escape, that you're oh. like, why did this not happen immediately? Yes. You know? This... <laughs> This seemed like it took far too long, uh, but it drove me mad. It was just like, take the freaking sheet off of you. It's open at the bottom. <laughs> yep. Uh, all right, but before the escape, we've got to we we have to check in with Detective Karuda, who is uh, now aware that his family has uh, killed themselves, and then he gets a phone call from the scratchy voice kid again and this is like the big heavy you know are are you know are you connected to your family are you connected to yourself you know all like all that stuff comes in this conversation um like it is wall-to-wall -wall weird sono philosophy shit in this phone absolutely. call absolutely yeah that it, it helps to watch it from that perspective don't watch it from a sort of Western 
religious view. Watch it from a more Shinto Buddhist philosophical view, and it makes it easier to understand what's going on in the movie. Right. Um, and that and that he's talking in metaphor. That the, like the the revelation isn't like there's some literal connection to Earth or something weird like that. This is all just like wh- what what are you as a person connected to in a fundamental emotional and, and real way um, yeah whether it is yourself or your family or whatever and and essentially Kuroda doesn't have a good answer to any of that he's clearly turned his back on his family to the point that he did not see all the signs uh, that his denial or his complicit denial that what they were dealing with was murder in uh in some form has led to the death of his family. Um, so after the phone call with the, uh, the scratchy throated kids, uh, he does himself in, you know, he says he's the criminal and, uh, and kills himself. Um, does not seem as happy about his own, (laughs) his own suicide (laughs) as a, a lot of other people in the film though. No, no, he seems more of a, what's the fucking point? You know, yeah. like, like some part of him absolutely gets it in that moment and realizes the point they're trying to prove and just says, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, which the whole movie we're set up believing this is the main character. Right. He's he's the guy we've been following. I mean, there's the younger detective <laughs> who's. But, you know, played a little bit of a role, but not nearly. Like we're way more invested in Kuroda's family and all that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And I thought the younger one was the supporting yeah. character guy. You know. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. He's he's the young the young rookie that's learning you know the ropes and whatnot. Um, if it had been a western movie, that that would have been the dynamic. But uh, yeah, so uh, he's dead. And then with and then we cut back to you, Genesis's bowling uh lair. <laughs> and this fucking guy. <laughs> and and then we we get um uh like her she the the bat escapes and finds her friend ha- is dead now. And she makes it to a computer uh and is, is trying to get out to let somebody know where she is. And uh genesis and his crew catch her but instead of you know trying to pull her away from the computer or whatever they're like no 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 we'll give you the address Uh, oh yeah he's like this this is a great time to get caught yeah you know he's he's in it for the fame he's in it for the you can't be famous unless you get caught right isn't that the uh the whole serial killer philosophy yeah well and he calls himself uh the like the the new age manson or the digital age manson um and and has claimed responsibility for the suicide club and all that stuff like he is going to be in theory one of the biggest mass murders in history now let let's be fair here his music was way better than manson's oh <laughs> yes it is like, his band was awesome <laughs> yeah honestly we might never have gotten a genesis if uh it had been genesis who met dennis wilson as opposed to charles manson we could have had genesis and the beach boys uh, 
Oh god. I, my my all right, I, one quick diversion. My favorite <laughs> Dennis Wilson slash Charles Manson story. Uh so Charles Manson is is sleeping at Dennis Wilson's beach house. And I was listening to a podcast that went deep into that story. And the reason, or one of the reasons, that Dennis Wilson finally kicked Manson out, in addition to the fact that he was paying for all these groceries and shit that Manson was charging to the house, um, was also because uh, he kept getting STDs from all of Manson's (laughs) girls. And was finally like, I gotta get him out of here. Like, And I like the fact that it, it was like, not fucking them is not on the table. Like, that's gonna happen unless I kick them out. And it's just oh running up God. medical bills, and that's not cool. <laughs> also, my business is just a mess right now. Oh, my God. Priorities, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, but Genesis instead well, I'm clearly fucked. going to fuck any woman that comes into the house. I can't so. not. One of them I'm going to fuck, and they're all filthy. They're all diseased. <laughs> That's that's hilarious. I didn't know that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that is true. Uh, unless I have the Wilson wrong, I know it's not Brian. I think it's Dennis. So I, if if I have the the Wilson wrong, I apologize. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> it won't, yeah, anyway. Um, then uh, the the cops now Carudulus, um are are kind of left. Uh, you know, defend for themselves. That no, nobody really still knows what's going on. Yes, it's been pinned on Genesis, but um, Shibu, the younger detective, is still seeing that dots are appearing and understands, like, oh, well, this isn't over. Um, meanwhile, Mitsuko, who is the girl, uh, what got a boyfriend dropped on her, um. <laughs> fucking hate it when that happens (laughs) yeah it more than you would think more than you would like certainly (laughs) Uh, so she goes to her boyfriend Masa's house and finds out that he's got like these disarm posters up all over the place and shit and starts to put two and two together and, and cracks the code oh yeah she goes full on tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist she starts reading into every poster every cd cover and figures it out yeah and it's actually real <laughs> right that these uh like because of the way that the girls are holding their fingers on a poster that is actually giving you a phone number to call and uh she ends up uh getting the address i guess of this the place where the movie ends um, where like <laughs> it's it's a concert being held by this band, and it, except the audience is really her. Like Mitsuko shows up and walks out on stage, and it's a bunch of kids looking at her, asking her questions, and. Not at all creepy. Right. It's this really... And and she just stands there kind of silently listening to them ask questions like, you know, the very famous, are you connected to yourself? And 
Then she is taken, uh, what I like to think of as backstage at the Disart concert, um, which is a hallway where uh, individuals are stripped and uh, someone takes, uh, what do you call them things? Not a cheese grater. That don't work. Uh, it's like a it's like a little mini bagel guillotine, but a really good one. Yeah, it's <laughs> like uh, they use it to you know kind of uh, smooth wood and whatnot. It, it, it takes strips off, and uh, so that's what they use. And they take a strip of of the skin, which we understand is what is stitched together to make this roll. Um, and uh, that is kind of where the movie wraps up with Mitsuko being one of these people leaning against a wall as strips of flesh are, are pulled off and uh, and then there's uh, the guy in the, the Christmas lights the uh, oh god yeah suspended on the ceiling and he drops another bag which has another uh, roll of skin that's like his only job. They recruited this guy. They found a guy, sat him down for an interview, and said, "Listen, we're just gonna. All you gotta do is hang there, and when someone hands you a full bag, you just drop it." Yeah. And he was like, "Yeah, man. I mean, do you have dental?" And they were like, "Yeah, we got dental." And so he, he was like, "Sign me the fuck up." <laughs> Trust me, your health plan ain't gonna be a problem. <laughs> This job is temp to perm. <laughs> Leaning on the perm side. How do you feel about about multicolored lights? <laughs> I guess I guess I'm fine with them. You're gonna be perfect. <laughs> Just the man we're looking for. Yeah. And then and then we go into another uh, this art video. Uh. So, yeah. That's that's how it ends. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it's it's one of those movies where the the more you watch it, the more you understand it. But the first upon the first viewing, it is it is definitely like what 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 um okay, I guess uh, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think it. Like, I, I had the same reaction to it the first time I saw it, but at least I felt like, okay, this means something. This isn't yes. just total nonsense. Like, there is a point being made here. I just don't understand it yet. Hey, it's been a while since we've done a full show, so let's celebrate with the happiest of all possible topics, suicide. It's not just part of the movie's name for today's show, it's also a very real issue in Japanese culture. You don't have to be an obsessive like me to know about kamikaze pilots or the notion of harakiri, or the Japanese honor suicide. The entire country has long been associated with suicide in a way that very few are. And that doesn't end with World War II by any means. It's been an ongoing cultural crisis, so much so that in 2007, the Japanese government issued a nine-step plan in what was called a white paper in an attempt to curb suicides by 20% by this year. 
On average, about 70 people a day commit suicide in Japan, or just under 30,000 suicides a year. All of that begs one important question. What the hell? Well, what we think of as suicide in Japan stems from the notion of seppuku, the original form of the honor killing. This would be performed by samurai who had fallen in battle. To free their spirits before suffering the indignity of surrender or capture, samurai would slice open their open bellies to release said spirits onto the enemy. This wasn't frowned upon, but rather a very real alternative to failure. In later wars, charging straight at the enemy or flying a plane into an enemy carrier, these were acts of bravery, not cowardice. So, given the cultural roots of acceptance of suicide in certain situations, it isn't really hard to see why suicide seemed like an acceptable alternative to modern-day problems, too. Another cultural factor that contributes to this is the place of the individual in Japanese society, something we've talked a bunch about on this show. Unlike Western cultures that promote individuality and the ability to disrupt the norm, Japanese society very much values that norm. You are taught from a young age that the greatest value is in providing a stable and expected contribution to society. Your own dreams and desires be damned. It is your job in such a culture to conform to the best of your ability. This is called ame, and results, psychologically speaking, in one's worth being determined by how they are seen by others. So, let's say you're a Japanese salaryman or salarywoman, but 71% of these suicides are men, so women, you may just be more psychologically healthy than we bapinist others. And so let's say you lost your job, maybe even your home, in the global crash of 2007 and 2008. So now, with no way to support yourself or your family, do you pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and start all over again? Or do you see this failure and your resultant lack of contribution to the world around you and decide that maybe it's better to shrug off this mortal coil? Well, lots of people in Japan choose the latter, enough to issue the white paper we mentioned earlier. Alright, so what does all this have to do with Suicide Club? Well, kind of everything, except maybe from a less anti-suicide angle. If Suicide Club is ultimately about a younger generation restoring connection and community, while those who worship at the altar of pop culture are left to die, I might argue Suicide Club is strangely pro-suicide, in that those killing themselves are making way for a new, more self-aware, more connected generation. In fairness, though, the, the, enough about the movie, the Japanese government has really been working hard to steer the cultural norms away from acceptance of suicide, but it's an uphill battle when you're talking about hundreds of years of cultural traditions. So it's a subject we may return to, but it's worth noting that this is something that they as a society contend with in a very real way, much more so than we do here in the West. So when Japanese films include characters who commit suicide or reference suicide, keep in mind that's a much bigger deal than it is here because it's something that probably if you live in Japan, you know someone who has or someone uh, or know someone who knows someone who has. Anyway, back to whatever the hell this movie's about. Yeah, it's not, it's not like Robo Geisha, where you're just like, this is complete nonsense on, on any level. Yeah. What the fuck? You know, it, it is something that makes you, okay, I'm, I'm clearly not smart enough to get what's being said to me here. I need to watch it a few more times. Right. I Like, I need, to, I need to do some research. I need to hit Wikipedia. I need to figure out what the hell's going on. 
Um, but I feel like uh, we we might be able to provide some answers. So for for those of you who have uh, just experienced uh, Suicide Club for the first time, um, here is the argument I would make as to what this movie is about. And then, uh, of course, Misty gets rebuttal. Uh, <laughs> Shit, I hope I disagree with you. It'll be a really uninteresting rebuttal if I, I'm like, oh, no, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, uh, that's fine, too. I, I don't, I could, I could use a little you're right every now and again. Um, so, uh, you know, at, we've talked about this, you know, during the conversation so far, but, you know, this movie is all about alienation. It, it's about being isolated. It's about being disconnected from yourself, uh, in a lot of ways, but, um, you know, it, this kind of falls in line with a movie like pulse in terms of, Hey, the internet is this ever present thing in our lives. Um, there is this superficial culture that has inundated Japanese life that it, it makes people like it distracts people from true human connection. And so the only thing that can get them reconnected is dying together and that you know the end of this movie is basically a very symbolic way of Sono saying the kids can actually repair this like they can take this a different direction because they're the later generation the generation that's already kind of you know internet obsessed and phone obsessed and 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 obsessed with the superficial side of culture they're kind of lost you know uh but the kids might be all right um which is kind of a grim outlook in just like well maybe the next generation's going to be okay but this generation's fucked but i think that's kind of what sono is saying here you know it, I, I do agree with you oddly enough um which is kind of disappointing because I love a good good radio argument, but um, <laughs> um, I do kind of agree with you um, that it is, and and not only that, but I think he's right. I mean, if you look at something like the internet and social media, it it has permeated our lives in a, in a major way, um, and we haven't really adjusted to that as as a as a whole but the younger generation that grows up surrounded by these things it's like they'll be able to see through them easier because it's not shiny new na new razzle dazzle oh my god i'm putting everything on instagram they that's normal it's normal and boring to them and i think especially given japanese culture and how isolation is very much encouraged in that society as it is in most societies uh, i know you know i like to point at the japanese for that but realistically uh, i live in england right now and it's very much like that over here as well you are meant to focus on your job you are meant to focus on your career prospects and the things that are going on with you and whatever's going on outside of here uh, no matter what it is, war, poverty, homelessness, uh, your family's problems, your friends, whatever, it's not as important as, as the bottom line, as your, your main focus. And you're not meant to look up from that. 
Um, I think the Desart song Puzzle said it quite nicely in the film. Um, it's all about, you know, oh, you'll find your place to fit. Life is a jigsaw puzzle. And if you don't fit, make yourself fit. And that's very much how I see sort of contemporary society right now. If you don't fit in, you have to force yourself to. Otherwise, you're worthless. And it brings into question the question of value and the value of human life. Is the value of a person's life down to, you know, their individual focused needs? It's not. There's something more, but people have lost sight of that. So not only do I think that sort of the message he's trying to convey, I, I completely agree with it, to be honest. Um, I'm not saying people should all jump off buildings, well, but... I mean, they know. kind of already are. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's to be expected, though. If, if your world revolves around something so boring and mundane as just social media flash entertainment whatever the new show is and work what the fuck is the point of living right yeah. i mean that's not living that's existing in a vacuum and if you don't step out of that i mean it's no wonder that people get to the point to where they're just like well why i'm gonna wake up tomorrow i'm gonna do the exact same fucking thing i did today and it's gonna mean nothing you know, life has to have meaning for you, which is where I think the whole are you connected to yourself reoccurring line comes in. You know, are you connected to yourself? Do you believe in yourself? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, I do agree with you on that. I, th I r really do think that's what the movie is about. Um, obviously, it has nods to fads and peer pressure and trends and how people are influenced by popular culture but you know when you get down to the meat of it i think that that you're absolutely right that that's the that's the point that's the point of he was trying to show us in the most amazingly gory fun way ever yeah <laughs> where in in a movie like this is very much a movie about like how how culture has steered us away from true connection to other human beings while having a you know, drag style Bowie type villain stomp someone to death and then sing a rad song. <laughs> I, I I think that <laughs> I, 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 I love him so much. I, I think he, his point is so brilliantly done though, because you look at Genesis and you're just like, this is fucking amazing. But yeah. really what, what is he telling us? Well, unless you're dead or famous, you don't matter. Yeah. And that's, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, and again, this is a movie from 2001, and it's way more relevant today than it was then. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like, Gen <laughs> Genesis is sort of that YouTube star, you know, yes. uh, before YouTube. But he's the guy that, yeah, would be doing videos of his, you know, bowling ball lair. <laughs> And oh my god, I would watch the shit out of that YouTube channel. I, yeah, I mean, who wouldn't? It would be, he'd be like PewDiePie. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, I mean, like, 
there, there's also I I want to mention this because I know in in the interstitial piece for this episode uh, we're not going to be talking about the the cultural side of disconnection um, a little bit but not totally um, at any rate there is the notion of beauty which is the um it, it it's like the bond the social bond uh, uh, essentially the social contract we refer to it in the west um that you owe your fellow man certain rights and certain dignities and and you have certain expectations of them as they showed of you uh and that you have a place in the society and like that's kind of an exaggerated form of what we have as the social contract like Giri is much more that you are working as part of a society. You are working towards a common goal. And that if you're not doing that, then you're kind of a, a piece of shit. Yeah. And you end up at that club from Dor- Tokyo Gore police where right. the chair pees on you. Oh God. I want to go to that club too. So, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so many, so many good reasons to go to Tokyo. Uh, guest, guest band tonight. Genesis. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. I mean, Peter Gabriel's back for one night only because it's the Peach Hair's birthday. <laughs> I'd love to I'd love to see a chair peeing on somebody to in your eyes. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, of course. I mean, that's just romance. <laughs> John Cusack standing in the corner holding up a big-ass boombox. Right. You know? or, uh, holding up the... <laughs> Gator vagina girl. <laughs> Maybe it's so good. If anybody's listening that has the power to make this video happen, make this video happen. Please do. <laughs> uh, I'll take animated. Um, <laughs> right. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, but yeah. So I you know I I think that that's another thing that the movie is is ultimately getting at is the idea that. You know, uh, like kids are reverting back to understanding their responsibilities to one another and and to the culture. Like, you know, everybody owes a little bit of a, a debt to society uh, to one degree or another. You know, you have a responsibility to the world around you. And uh, I think you're seeing that in a, like, again, because I think Sono is uh, about 15 years ahead of his time. Maybe uh, he's a time traveler. <laughs> you know, but then why why would you make the movie then? Why not release it now? Ah, uh, that's true. Because it would be way more relevant. I like every well, maybe he was trying to warn us. That that's I'm gonna go with that. Yeah. I'm gonna go with that. That's exactly true, and I choose to believe exactly that. He was <laughs> warning us that he was about to make cold fish. Uh <laughs> And and w- at at some point we're going to get around to discussing the kind of spiritual sequel, uh, which is Noriko's Dinner Table. I've not seen the sequel because I'm afraid to. It's uh, it is it, it it's not. Here's the problem with it: is that you expect it to be like Suicide Club Two, and it's just its own thing. It's it, like it there are connections between the two movies for sure, but it's just a totally different kind of movie, which is if you think about the kind of movies that Sono makes, that makes total sense. If you go into it wanting something that looks and feels like suicide club, it ain't that. Right. 
Let me guess, um, Christmas light guy morphs into giant robot and just starts fucking shit up. Um, it's, <laughs> they, they merge into one, uh, like, uh, <laughs> he fights, uh, Kayako and Sadako, <laughs> and they become, they merge all three of them. Um, I, I really like that Sadako versus Kayako movie. I, I, I liked it so much. I, I was, was so happy. It was, yeah, I was too. It was real dumb in a way that I kind of got behind. I, I Well, it, that's the thing. People expect... I, what I loved about it was that it was so dumb and silly. Because you expect anything coming out of anywhere near that part of the world to be a mind fuck. And this was just fun. Yeah. It was just straight up fun. <laughs> and what was the little psychic girl? Does his name Tamo? Oh, God. I don't remember. Oh, she was great. Oh, that hair. Like, her and then, uh, like, the older, or not too old, but the older than her guy that was kind of her caretaker or whatever. I thought that team was the best. Like, I want to see spinoff movies with their adventures investigating, like, curses and goings-ons. When I I first saw it, I was like, oh, they should do, like, a, a Netflix series with them teaming up with the psychic grandma and granddaughter from sure. phantasm great i'm I, i'm totally in <laughs> yeah in, anything that brings those characters back into my life i'm good with uh but yeah i thought that, that movie was super fun um anyway we're not talking about that we're we are wrapping this up on suicide uh club so yeah i i think this is a terrific movie it's one it, it truly is one of my personal favorites i i like it because it is so it's so gory and goofy and weird, but at the center of it has a pretty substantial message that I tend to agree with. So <laughs> the, the best messages are the ones that I agree with. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm like, it's not, it's not necessarily like pulling the scales from my eyes. It's just telling me something that I kind of already thought. Um, but yeah, I, I, like Sono is sometimes frustrating because he he couches his messages in just the most distasteful like vehicles, you know. It's like uh, putting uh, solid gold seats in an AMC Sportabout Hornet. <laughs> <laughs> and. <laughs> but it's but it's good that he does that though because because he does it that way you notice it more yeah. it has more of an impact if he gave it to us like you know in in a pristine tasteful manner it wouldn't nearly have the impact as it does yeah, with right. his uh silly grotesque craziness <laughs> yeah and 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 but that's the problem is sometimes if the message isn't strong enough then strange circus happens where you're just oh god where you're just like i don't know if it's okay to be watching this uh (laughs) i think i'm on a list now (laughs) so (laughs) we probably all are for one reason or another (laughs) yeah i've yeah i've said some unfortunate things um i yeah there's got to be a registry of some of that um misty uh you are awesome thank you so much for doing this thank you for having me i'm sorry about all the delays but it's always fun it's always fun coming on here and and hanging out with you 
Yeah. Thanks for having me. Oh. This is one of my favorite movies, and I love talking about it with you. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was great. Um, and uh, for listeners, Black Annis is uh, available uh, over here at legionpodcasts.com. As well as iTunes, you can just look for Black Annis. You can find it that way, too. Whatever whatever gets you there, but listen to it. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think uh, that is going to do it for this episode. Uh, thanks again to uh, everyone for hanging on. Uh, I know the episode releases have been a bit sporadic of late, uh, but we'll try to make that a little more regular. Um, assuming, you know, people quit asking me to do stuff. That's really what I'm asking for. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, just what you're not gonna paint my house fine Bo. i, see I how you are. <laughs> said i would and i will the flight is booked it's just it's costing me a lot to paint your house uh, you get here and it's like brick fucking l way why <laughs> i don't i don't even have a sprayer i got nothing for this um but but the point is we'll be back uh uh hopefully more regularly and uh uh until then ladies and gentlemen as much spangle call lily line as i can legally play for you good night Yeah.